Glad you're here. Pammy, morning. Oh, good to see you this morning. It has been a crazy week getting ready for our children's ministry kickoff, um, which is going on right now. Um, if you're visiting with us, if you haven't been here before, this is the first week we've ever really done it the way we're doing it. Um, and uh, we're really excited. You wouldn't believe what it looks like back there. Um, if, you're, if you uh, get a chance after church, after the kids clear out, um, just poke your head in back there. We've spent a lot of time getting some things going. 52 kids back there. Yeah. Well, this is why you should never put numbers on it, because Risha and I prayed there'd be 30. So um, there are. So uh, we've been working really, really hard. We were here yesterday a long time. And, you, you know, you need to know, we're, we're actually, this sermon series um, ties really well with, with the work that's being put in, in around here. But there's something about this place on a Saturday. You know, Sundays are cool. There's no question. Being here on a Sunday is amazing. But if you love Sundays, you should try Saturdays. On Saturdays, we were here yesterday, and I don't get to do it very much, but I was here yesterday, and there was just this buzz in the room of what, what's to come. And um, Andy and Brenda um, are just the epitome of servants. They were here sweeping the carpet. Andy's back in the back hanging off of a lift with a mop, cleaning off the, the lights and all these things, you know. And I, I mean, there, there is a buzz in this building. And the truth is, this is just the flat truth about this thing. God is going to do what God is going to do with or without us. He's going to, okay? Uh, maybe you've been in a church where the preacher has got up and said, please help us. We can't do anything if you don't help us. That's not this message. God is going to do what God is going to do with or without us. You just don't want to miss being a part of it. It is incredible what it will do to your life. I've had one of the hardest weeks I've had in many years this week, and yesterday and today has been such a deep breath for me. If you're going through a hard time, if you're dealing with life, if you're just struggling to kind of passively get through life, find a way to go. Find a way to get plugged in. And I'll tell you, if you, if you can't really figure out what that way is, come see me or come see Risha. We'll plug you in right away. All kinds of things to do. I want to tell you just briefly about what's going on back there today. You're going to hear it at times, although it's not too bad right now, is it? 52 kids back there. How about that? Now, who knows what they're hearing? Um, yeah, we smell a lot of bacon. That's good. That's I'm not sure if that settles them down or fires them up, but um, what they're doing back there, I want you all to know this, especially if you've got kids back there or if you've got kids that aren't back there, if you've got kids sitting with you today, you need to know that is fine, no problem. If you've got babies um, under the age of three, no problem if you want them to sit with you. We do have a nursery upstairs. You would have a lot better time, and so will they if you send them upstairs. We have been praying for them. We've been thinking about them. Back here, if you've got kids over the age of three and in the age of three to fifth grade, um, send them back here. And just let me tell you, it might be hard. You might get them back here for 10 minutes and they come back here and sit with you for a while. Eventually get them back here. They have songs that they're doing. They're doing their own worship back there. So they've got a TV set up. And we've been working all week on getting PowerPoint together with lyrics. They've got a team of junior high girls. And you know what's cooler than adults to kids is junior high girls. Um, the team of junior high high school kids that are helping lead the worship back there. So they have worship in their own language with words they understand. And they've got a message that we've, um, we've just been so blessed um, because the, the resources that go on back here are, we figured last night when we left, there's about $5,000 worth of resources and stuff back here, and we paid somewhere around $74 for all of it. Um, and amazing. Other churches, people, 
just donating to us, but you need to know that right now, you're, the kids that are back here are getting some of the most cutting-edge messaging for them that's out there right now. They've got a TV set up back there, and they're watching DVDs um, with a message in it, so they'll watch about a 15-minute message, and then they'll, they'll, when they're done with it, they'll go into classes broken up into um, three-year-old boys, uh, or three to kindergarten-year-old boys, girls, and then um, ages second through fourth grade, something like that, and third through fifth grade of boys and girls, so they get broken up into smaller groups. The teachers that are back here, whereas sometimes maybe you've taught or you've been in Sunday school where it's been like an hour of Sunday school, the teachers back here, they don't have a lesson prepared because the lesson is on video, but they have things that Risha has compiled for them. Risha and Stacy have been putting things together for them so that they can have games and things for the kids to do back there. So I don't want to sell it anymore because I'm afraid you're going to get up and want to go back there. Um, but you need to know that we are hitting head-on what we believe God wants us to do here. We believe that kids are worth our very best effort. And I'm telling you, what's amazing about it is if we give our best effort, God fills in these gaps. We, we pray for 30 and he shows 52. We, we pray for 75 bucks worth of resources and he brings 5,000. I'm telling you, you need to be a part of this. And you, your kids need to be a part of it. So if you have developed a habit... It's no problem at all. If you and your family have developed a habit of keeping your kids with you at church, not a problem, and you're welcome to keep doing that. I just need you to know for your sake and for their sake, if you can slowly change that habit, it'll be good for everybody. And we're not going to push it, but we just want you to let you know that that's the case. Really excited about what's going on. You might hear them a couple times, although we haven't yet, um, and uh, we'll see what happens today. But before we get started, I don't know if you need it. I need a deep breath today. Um, I need an opportunity just to get uh, some perspective on my life before I speak today. And you may not know this, but when I preach, um, when I prepare a sermon, that's kind of when I get the sermon. Like you get it sitting here today, I get it while I'm preparing it. And um, last Sunday, I, um, that's normally the way it works, but last Sunday I got it during the sermon. Um, and I felt like I was a part of the congregation hearing a word from God last Sunday. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with perspective. Um, maybe yours, maybe mine, and I'm going to pray for it again right now because that's what I want today. Um, and I think if we're not careful, we just make this another day and another moment in our life. And if you choose it right now, this is your choice. It's your choice because God has already said He is speaking into your life right now. It is your choice to hear Him. And the way you do that is you turn down the volume of your life, whatever that means for you right now. And what I'm hoping is you get better at it every Sunday you come here. You know exactly what that means, and maybe it's more of a mute button than it is anything else. But whatever it is today, would you do that right now so we can hear a word from God? Wow, it's quiet. God, would you give us, in the midst of this quiet, would you give us a word? Some people hear your voice. I never have. But I unmistakably am moved when I quiet my life and listen to you. Would you move us? Would you speak to us? Would you do whatever you need to do to get us perspective and get us in the right place so that we can not just talk about this thing. God, you know how bad it breaks my heart to see the pain that's brought into this room week after week after week, and then nothing changes. 
So God, I'm asking today for a major paradigm shift for us. Individually, church-wide, whatever it takes for us to, to make the rubber meet the road when it comes to our faith. Would you make it really clear to us in this next 30 minutes, God, where it is in our lives that we do a lot of talking and not a lot of acting when it comes to you? Would you make it really clear to us? Would you make it glaring, almost annoying in our own lives when we talk about you, when we, when we pretend, when we engage in religious activity that is empty? Would you make that so apparent to us that we can't walk out of here with it today? And would you give us the handles, the things that we can do to make change to it? And we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So without thinking, you guys have done this before, maybe at a counselor. Without thinking, first thing comes to your head when I say, what did what, you talk about in your family this week? Just yell it out. One thing you talked about in your family. School. School. Football. There you go. School, football. What else? Movies? Oh, moving. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Vacations. Aruba. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Bills. Yeah. Weather. Got, it got good, didn't it? Girls, pot. Yeah. Homework. Homework in your house, Rick? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I thought maybe Debbie was going back to school. I didn't know. Anybody else? Football. Colts. Got to hear a little bit of that this week. I, I don't know what it was in your house, but here, I, what I want you to know is that when, when, you, when I said that this morning and I asked that question, I'd say, somebody would say, Bills, and everybody would go, oh, yeah, yeah. Somebody else would go, football, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody said, girls, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, pot, I didn't get a lot of head shaking, but I, I think it was just because you're all scared, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing about it. Here's the thing about it. We tend to believe as humans, and it doesn't matter how old you are, we tend to believe that what we're dealing with in our life is so specific to our lives that nobody would understand, that nobody gets it, and that even God has finally seen a human being go through something that he doesn't know what to do with. But the, the truth of it is, God has put in our lives these common threads these common threads. So when I say bills, everybody goes, yeah, boy, I know. And we, we know what he means by bills, don't we? And, and when we say football, we go, yeah, you know, there's this hope in us. If you're a Colts fan, if you're not a Colts fan, I'm sorry. We, <laughs> we don't judge anybody, all right? So you're still, you're still welcome here, that's right. But, you know, there's a lot of Colts fan here. And, you know, when we say football, those of us who are Colts fan who get football, we don't understand it. There's something weird about it, but it brings us together. And there's like this, man, I hope we win. And we have these common threads that from the beginning of time, this is not just a 2015 thing. From the very beginning of time, God has woven us together as human beings with common threads, with common passions, with common purpose, with common holes in our life with common frustrations, and if you're dealing with them on your own, if you're just trying to do life in a silo, it's a farm area, you know what that means. A big, tall tank where nothing else is put in, just, just your life, and nobody else touches it, nobody else is sharing. If you're in that, you need to know today, you are going against the grain of the way God created you. And if you can, if nothing else happens to you today, if you hear this sermon and you go, wow, 
Other people are dealing with the same kinds of things I'm dealing with. And wow, I don't have to do it in a silo. Maybe I could do life. That's a phrase we use a lot around here. Uh, Do life together. And there is this blessing that God has given those of us um, who have chosen Him, and that is the chance to do life together. If you've missed that, I'm hoping you get it today. Those who follow Jesus got it. Those who were the closest around Jesus got it. They weren't the smartest humans on earth. They weren't the best humans on earth. They weren't the best looking. They weren't the best choice if you wanted to lead a revolution like Jesus did. But these guys who followed Jesus closely understood what life was and understood what, what, uh, what God wanted for their lives. One of them um, I want to talk about today. I, I want to talk about a few of them. One of them is the, the brother of James, or the brother of Jesus, um, James. He says this when, when he's talking to a whole group of people. He starts to see that the farther people get from Jesus, and, and here's, I mean, I'm talking physically now, those people who followed Jesus closely while he was on earth literally followed him from place to place to place. Those people had this different thing in them that if they really followed Jesus, it did something physically to their life. It wasn't just something they talked about. It wasn't just a song they sang. It wasn't just a Sunday morning routine. It was something that actually physically changed the way they lived their lives. But when Jesus died, he rose again. When he rose again and he left the earth, the farther people got from when Jesus was actually here, the more they began to do this thing that was like just bad taste in the mouth for those who had actually been here when Jesus was here. It was like this religious thing where you, you talk about Jesus, and you make up some things, I think now they would look at our Christian Bible bookstores and go, what does Jesus is the reason for the season mean? I mean, that's not, that's not a bad reminder, but if, is, that re- is that what this is to you? Is it signs and crosses around your neck? Is that what this is? Because it couldn't be any further from just symbols and signs. This was so physical and so real. And what I think we're missing, most of us, myself included, is the perspective that really following Jesus not just asking Him to follow you, not just showing up when things are bad, not just kind of putting in your dues with church and those kinds of things. Really finding out what it means to do life like Jesus did life and the way He intends for you to do life will change everything about you. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, you name it, it will change you. James said, here's the problem. A lot of people listen to this thing. They come, they listen to the Word, they listen to the preacher, and they go, mmm, we talked about that last week, mmm. And it doesn't mean anything to them past that moment. Because when they walk away from here, they assume the the same personality they assumed when they came in, the same physical thing, the same relationships, the same exact life. And James says, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. It's deceiving because you come to church and you think because you've heard it, it means something. But the truth is, it means nothing. What I'm saying today is not a sermon. What I am saying today is not just a word from God. What I'm saying today is a decision for you to make today. This is something for you to take away from here. And if I've missed that at any any moment, I'm hoping, and I get this, I've got three or four friends in here, and they're... They're very close to me, and for, I mean, I've got lots of friends, but these are the ones who come to me and say, hey, John, you missed it today. You said good things, but you didn't tell us what to do with it. I think that's part of the problem with preaching. It's easy to to make you go, mmm. It's hard to make you leave here and do something with it. Part of that's my issue, part of it's yours. James says, it's deceiving just to talk a good game. Do what it says. Now, when he says do what it says, for us, we're like, oh yeah, that's what a preacher would say, or that's what... 
But there's something in the Greek language here that you can't translate to English. And it's like this imperative. It's an imperative feel. And what it, the, the imperative feel of it is, your life is a mess. This is what he's saying in this phrase. Your life is a mess. You keep claiming that you're following Jesus. But you're not. You're talking about following Jesus. If you want your life to be congruent with the way God created your life to be, this, this is how to do it. You listen to it. You find application to it. If you, if you go through a 30-minute sermon with a preacher and you feel inspired but you don't know what to do with it, you don't leave the church until you corner that preacher. Right here. And you find out what to do with it. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If you've missed the last few weeks, we've talked about this. We don't do this at home. You don't look in the mirror and look at yourself and go, Wow, am I a mess. And then just go, honey, I'm going to work. You do something about that, most of you. Some of you. <laughs> some of you have given up a little bit, but at the same time, there's still some things you've got to do, you know? But what James says is it's like looking in the mirror, noticing it, realizing it, and then walking away with nothing changed. To be honest with you, I'm hoping that 2015 is a, it's a new year for many of you who have been living like this. And I see it on your faces. And the more I get to know you, the more I run into you at Walmart, the more I run into you at the gas station, at a steak and shake, at a different place, and I see a different face than I saw on Sunday morning, I realize that we got a, we got a lot to do around here. The more, I, the more I run into you outside of church, the more I start to know you really. And the more you get to know me, really. And the truth is, the preacher that you see on Sunday morning, this preacher that stands here right now and, and has a big smile on his face is the same guy that almost went to the hospital this week with depression. You need to know that. You need, I need to know that about you. You need to know that about me. And we need to hold each other accountable to not just getting here and talking, but applying the way this thing actually makes us live. And what I'm planning to do is as just for much for me as it is for you. I want to figure out what this thing does for my life. What following Jesus really does for my life. What it looks like to be different. What it looks like to give up my Saturday in lieu of sitting watching another college football game or reruns of friends and come here at church on a Saturday and hang stuff in the back for kids. I want to know what it looks like to be driven by that. I want to know what it looks like to be so heartbroken when I pass somebody with a sign that says, we'll work for food. I want to know what it looks like to be so heartbroken and to be so connected to God that I know exactly what to do in that moment. That I'm not just handing them money and making a comment or that I'm not just saying how they all just want the same thing and they're just ripping people off. I want to know what it feels like and I want to know how to live in those moments of my life. The problem is, Many of us have this same problem with life. And I talked about it all week, and then lo and behold, it hit my life like a ton of bricks. Where things come at our lives. They come at our lives, and you have an option. You have an option today. You have a decision to make. You can react to the things that come into your lives, and many of you have done that. I've done that myself. This leads to anxiety and depression. You just kind of wait for something to happen, and then when it does, you kind of try to do something with it. Or, you live a proactive life. Or you go after it. You make a conscious choice to be and do things that you want to do. Now you need to know 
that when James talks about this, when, what you just heard, that piece of scripture, that whole Greek language is like this connotation to the people that would have heard it. His, his paragraph was like, if, if you guys are just feeling like you're walking through mud, you, if you live life like that, where it's like, it shouldn't be this hard just to take another step. And you feel like you're just kind of walking through mud. James says, this is why. You're listening, and you might, be, you might be hearing something, but because you're not doing it, you're walking against the grain. And a proactive life comes when you really do follow. Matthew, there is this story that I believe is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. There's a lot of, a lot of sad stories, um, and a lot of happy stories. This story um, is one about a guy who was missing something, but if you knew this guy, if you'd have known this guy, in fact, you do know a guy like this, or a girl like this, or a woman like this. You know somebody like this guy. Somebody who would look at it and say, I don't think that person has ever done a wrong thing in their life. That person must be the most holy person ever. In fact, Jesus, when he saw this guy, he actually acknowledged that maybe you've never done anything wrong. You seem like the kind of guy who has never done anything wrong. And as things come into your life, you don't proactively do anything. You just react to them. And by the way, you happen to be one of those people that react in a good way and you haven't made any bad choices. But he comes to Jesus and he notices that the broken people, the people that seem to be the worst people, have found something in Jesus that he hasn't found. In the midst of following all the rules, in the midst of going to the temple and doing his, his God things, in the midst of being a good person, he has missed something desperate. And he comes to Jesus and he's, he falls on his knees in front of all these poor people. Now this guy is rich, he's really rich. He's young, which doesn't happen very often even in our culture. To be really rich and really young is really strange. In this culture, it was even more strange. If you were rich, it was because you, were, you had either had an inheritance or because you, were, you had earned it over a long life. But this kid was rich and he was young and he was smart and he was good and he was religious and everybody seemed to like him and he was one of those guys, yet he falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, I'm missing something. And the thing I love about Jesus is that he is so close to God. He doesn't doesn't look at this guy with contempt like you and I might, like the rich guy falling at Jesus' feet. He looks at him with pity. And he knows exactly what the guy's missing. Look what he says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. He fell on his knees before Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to receive life? Now the the New International Version uses the word eternal life here, but the Greek word is, is sort of a word that means two different kinds of life. They have three different words for the word life in the Greek language. And in this case, this word means, it, it does mean live forever, but it also means what must I do to receive the kind of life that I've been after? Now, you know how funny this would look if you were the poor people that knew this guy? I mean, you just, you just pick a person. You pick a person in your life who you think, man, wouldn't it be great to be him? Wouldn't it just be great to be, just for one day, to be Peyton Manning. Wouldn't it just be amazing? Now, I don't know what Peyton's faith is, and I don't know how it all works out, but wouldn't it be great to be Peyton Manning? You think he's got everything he wants, he's got all the money he wants, he's got all the fame, he, he seems to be the greatest guy, and then one day, you're all sitting around, and he's the one that says, I'm missing something. This is that moment. And Jesus looks around at all these poor people who thought that what they needed was money. They thought that what they needed was fame. They thought that what they were missing in life was this kind of a, a being good in life. And this guy has all of that. And Jesus goes, man, what a perfect time to show people. It's not about religion. It's not about what you say. It's not about money. And he says this, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. 
No one is good except God. Now, Jesus, I believe, said that for a couple reasons. Why do you call me good? He wanted to look at the guy and say, hey, I know you think you're good. And by the way, all the people that are watching, they all think you're good too, but you need to know you're not any good. You're not any good. You're not any better than the rest of us. Following the rules doesn't make you good. We're all broken. He says only God is good. Look at this. You know what the, common, what the commandments say. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not be a false witness, do not cheat, honor your father and mother. And at that point, this rich guy's going, done it, done it, done it, check mark, check, yep, got it, got it, got it, got it. Teacher, he said, I've obeyed all of those commandments since I was a boy. Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't argue with him. He didn't say, no, you didn't. I know you. And when you were eight, you didn't honor your mom and dad. And when, he didn't start saying, Jesus said, yeah, I mean, it looks good for you. I know. But do you realize now that that's not what I'm after? And he looks at the guy and he says this. I love this. Jesus looked at him. And he loved him. And he said, you are missing one thing. This week was a really hard week for me. And Matthew chapter 10, verse 21 changed my week. Jesus looked at him and he loved him because he was missing something. We have this impression about God and about Jesus that he looks down at you and he's like, how many times? Or he looks at you and he goes, what, what are you guys just dumb? It's right here in front of you. It's a sunset. We, we think that God looks down at us so that Jesus looks in our lives and goes, you're just stupid. How many more times? But the truth is, Jesus, every time he sees something missing in you, every time something is so broken in you that it's not just a matter of thinking differently, it's not just a matter of what you do, that it's something in the depths of your soul that seems broken. Jesus looks into your life and he loves you. The Greek word there, that phrase there, is, is not just like, aw, like you would love a puppy. This is desperately wanting to take the pain. That's what this word means. I desperately, I look into your life and I want to take your pain on me. When he looked at this man, that's what he said to him. But you won't believe the next thing he said. Now, if you, you think Jesus feels that way about this guy, you would think he'd let him off the hook, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd just say, hey, you know what? That peace that I'm passing, all understanding that I've been talking about, here it is, just take it. Yeah, just put it in your pocket, take that with you. Just put your hand on it every now and then, you need peace and it'll be there. But he didn't do that. Look what he says to this guy. Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said, you're missing one thing. Which would have looked really funny, because if you were rich in these days, you, I mean, you, you wore it all. You, know, you had it on you. You could tell by looking at a person how rich they were. And you could still, I mean, he probably wasn't driving a Bentley, but whatever the equivalent was at that point, that's what he was doing. He was the rich guy. And Jesus looks at him, and it just sounds funny to say, you're missing one thing. Go sell everything you have. You see what Jesus started with? Go. That's why I came up with this phrase. This, this sermon series, go. Go. Go and sell everything. Do you think Jesus needed his money? He didn't even say, go sell everything and bring back the money to me. He didn't say that. He said, get rid of all of this stuff that you thought was what your life was about. Go and get rid of it. Do something. Stop trying to be something and go do something. Jesus looked at him and he said, go and sell everything you have. Give the money to those who are poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. And what we do at church, 
what many of us do in American church is that we don't follow Jesus. We don't. Many of you today are sitting in this pews, and I, I am just as guilty. We get up in the morning, we go do our day, and when things get hard or things get bad, we don't follow Jesus. We call on Him to follow us. Come follow me into this meeting and fix this thing for me. Come follow me to pay these bills. Come follow me to talk to that pretty girl. Jesus is not your wingman, boys. It is not going to happen. Here's the thing about it. You think God is broken, many of you. Many of you deal with this, and I do this too. You think God isn't working for you. It's not working because the truth is God will not. He refuses to follow you. So when you can pause and you can stop in your life, take a deep breath and say, okay, so what would it look like in this case to follow him? What would it look like in this case? Uh, the WWJD bracelets I never got into because everybody was into it and it became a religious thing. It means a lot to some people, but to me it just kind of was like this global thing that people wore to kind of say I live like Jesus when they really didn't. If you've got one of those and you're working on it, man, uh, more power to you. But it, I love the sentiment. In every situation, what would it look like to do in this case what a follower of Jesus would do? And this guy, this was the saddest thing. The man's face fell. That's a pretty weak English term to say what was said in Greek. What was said in Greek is basically at that moment the man lived hell. You know what that feels like. At that moment the man lived hell because he had so depended on the things in his life to be what was giving him security that he knew he could not do the one thing that was missing in his life and that was to, to follow Jesus. To go all in. You know what it means to go all in? Some of you Church people, really good church people don't gamble. They, I mean, there's this, like, this conservative part of church people that don't like casinos and they don't. So maybe you don't know this phrase if you're a church person. But the, the truth is the word all in is a really good phrase. It comes from poker where you get to the end of the game and you kind of you get to the end of the hand and you're just like, well, everything I got in front of me right now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bet all of it right there. I'm going to push it all to the middle of the table. And Jesus looks at this guy and he says, all right, buddy, we're playing poker. You all in? Or do you just want the little parts of Jesus that sound good? Do you just want the little parts of Jesus that make you feel better? Do you just want the little parts of Jesus that, that make you put a cross around your neck and live however you want to, but feel a little bit better about the cross? Do you just want the little parts of Jesus, or are you all in? Because if you're not all in, you're missing it. And if you can be all in, you won't believe the difference in your life. So at this moment, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, because the man had chosen, he'd made his choice. You have a choice today. This man made his choice. He went away sad because he was very rich. And in this culture, that'd be hilarious. How do you be sad and rich at the same time? Jesus looked around at his disciples and he was desperate for his disciples at this point. These people who were following him. Now, I don't think it was just the 12. I think it was anybody who was following Jesus right now. There was a lot of people who were just trying to kind of kick the tires on what is because they were picking parts and pieces of Jesus too. I just want this, Jesus. I want that part where you feed the 5,000 people because I love free lunches. Jesus, I want that part where you, you heal people because I might, something might be broken and I want you to fix me. I just want those parts of you, Jesus. But when the Roman centurion guards come and things get hard, you know what? That's when I start doing the moonwalk. You know, I can't do the moonwalk. That's when I start moonwalking out of the scene, you know? I get away. Because they were picking parts of Jesus. Jesus looked around at the disciples and he said this. 
You know how hard it is for rich people to enter God's kingdom? You know how hard it is? It's not just rich and riches. It's, you know how hard it is when people have dedicated their lives something other than God to finally go, I'm pushing it all into the center. I am moving everything towards God. This is that famous scene next scripture is that famous scripture that you've heard over and over and preachers have misinterpreted for millions of years, thousands of years, where Jesus says it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. People have been messing that whole interpretation up for a long time. What Jesus meant was not that God's going to look at rich people and say you can't get into heaven. What he's, what he's saying is people get so consumed with their life and their money that they forget to go all in with God because they depend on something else. I love this piece of scripture, as broken as it is. Because it reminds me of this. If you hold out on God, you will miss out on everything God wants to do in you, with you, and for you. If you've got anything in your life, I know I made some people mad last night because I talked about money, and I'm, I'm going to keep making you mad. I'm not talking about your money as it relates to our church, although I think it would help. What I'm saying is that some of you have picked and chose the parts of Jesus that you want and you're holding out because you've said something about money that just you can't, the church and I can't give and I won't and I, there's something there. So God, you can have all of me but this part. Some of you it's not money. Some of you it's like, it, it's, it's like relationships and you've gone, you know what? I, I love the whole Jesus thing and it makes me feel good and, but when I get to Tuesday, I just want to do whatever I want to do with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Or, you know, I, I love the Jesus thing, and I love the religion thing, and I love the whole how it feels at church thing, but when I get to Wednesday, I want to make my own choices. Because here's the truth. I don't want to go all in. I want to give four of my chips just in case it doesn't work. So I have more. <clears throat> Jesus just says it doesn't work that way. If we hold out on God, we will miss out on everything God wants us wants to do in us, with us, and for us. The problem is we want something from God. We want something new in us while we're willing to just do the same old thing. Happens every year in January. We do these New Year's resolutions. We pray, God, I would love to quit smoking. God, help me quit smoking. God, help me quit chewing. God, help me quit drinking. God, help me quit this. But then we stop on the way home from church at the grocery store and pick up a carton of cigarettes. And go, God, help me quit smoking. Well, God didn't help me quit smoking. No, you picked up another pack. You want to quit? God says, you got to change. you got to do something different in you. This is the essence of go. I want to see you do that this year. And I want you to know I'm, I'm all in too. I'm dealing with anxiety and depression in such a hard way right now that it has consumed me at given times. And this year, I'm not there. You don't hear preachers talk like this very much, but this is how much I love you and how much I want to be a part of this all-in thing. I'm telling you right now, I need this desperately. I, I, I pick and choose the parts of Jesus that I want as your preacher at times. I live it until things get so anxious and so nervous that I feel like I've got to do more and I've got to do more and I quit counting on God and in that moment, anxiety overtakes me, the enemy wins, and I become depressed. And when you call with something or when you send me a Facebook message, I can't even respond as your pastor because I am paralyzed. And in that moment, I have chosen to be the rich young ruler and not give 
all to following Jesus. It's going to change for me this year. And I want it to change for you too. And as we do this together, you need to know what happened. It happened with the disciples. This is what happened. These disciples weren't smart. They weren't good. They weren't good speakers. I mean, Peter preached a really good sermon later on, but these specific disciples, they just they weren't that good. They weren't that smart. They weren't. And they started a revolution that is the reason you're sitting where you're sitting today. Because they were all in. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how dumb you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care what car you drove into the driveway. I don't care about any of it. Because the truth is, the only thing you're worth is what you will give to God when it comes to the way that He wants to love you in your life. It's time to do something different. And I don't know what that looks like. I'm hoping it's coming to you right now. I'm going to give you some ideas. I love this phrase about the, the uh, Israelites. The Israelites were slaves for many, many years in Egypt. And finally God rescued them. And it took one night, basically, for God to rescue them. I mean, it, I mean, it took Moses some plagues and some things. But for the most part, God rescued them in one night. But it took 40 years. So it took, it, it took a night. The way I should say this is the right way here. It took one night to get the Israelites out of Egypt. But it, it took 40 years to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. It took 40 years for them to be reminded that they weren't slaves anymore. They were free, but they were still living like slaves. I feel like God must think that about me this week. He looks down at my life and he goes, what is this thing that has paralyzed you? You have power over this. Have you not read 1 Corinthians? I mean, I almost think God looks at me and goes, hey John, you remember that sermon you preached about Paul in 1 Corinthians where he said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? What are you doing in bed today? Like, I feel like there's got to be this moment where God looks and he just says, it's time to live it's time to do something different you're not a slave to life anymore living like slaves the israelites they'd become accustomed to being slaves they had become accustomed to living life in a certain way and it took a major change and that's what it's going to take for you i don't know what it's like for you in your life but it takes a major change they spent more time feeling sorry for themselves than moving towards freedom the israelites and they lived in a state of retreat and instead of a state of charge. You know the difference? Retreat is that on your heels. You'll see it today if the Colts get behind. I hate it. It breaks my heart. But you'll see the moment the Colts lost if they lose today. Or you'll see the moment that, maybe I should say it this way, you'll see the moment that New England loses today. There you go. You'll see the moment. And it'll be when we're up by two touchdowns, Andrew Luck has the ball, and you'll see it in the secondary. They'll start doing this. They'll start moving backwards. They'll start getting on their heels. The defense will start running the ball. They'll let the time run out of the clock. And the offensive line, the defensive line will start battling. And the defensive line will start ended up on their heels. They'll be in retreat. And you can tell who's winning by those who charge instead of retreat. One of the things I want you to do today, walk out of here with what is it in your life you need to charge? Maybe it's your marriage. Some of you have lived a bad marriage so long that you forgot that it's bad. Some of you have, have lived a, marriage, a bad marriage so long that it's like you're a slave. Even though you're free, it's like you're a slave and you forgot what it feels like to be free. It's time to charge your marriage. Some of you need to charge your finances. And I don't mean on a credit card. Some of you have lived bad financially so long that you forgot there was a choice. Some of you have lived and you've made so many bad choices financially for so long that you feel like a slave 
But the truth is what God says about you is that you're not a slave. You're free and you don't have to live like this. But if you continue to run backwards and to retreat from the problems of your finances, and let me tell you specifically how you can do that financially. If you are in up to your ears with debt and bill collectors, man, join the club. I've been there. I'm, I'm getting out of it. and I can tell you how I did it. Rather than wait for that 1-800 number to come through and go, I know who that is. Decline. Start answering it. Even if there's no money in your account, you go, you know what, there's no money in my account. Sorry, no money, what do you want me to do? You know what they do? They okay, we'll call you back in a week. And you answer it again. Can I send you $10? Can I send you $10? $10 is better than nothing. I'm telling you right now, that's charging your problems. That's instead of retreating, instead of hiding, instead of running. This will change the way you live your life. Some of you need to charge your family. You think your kids are the problem. Let me just stop for a second because I'm so passionate about our kids in this area. If you have a kid who has an attitude problem and they're under the age of 17 and they live in your house, guess whose problem it is? They aren't responsible solely for the attitude of their home. Now, you can't fix it all in one fell swoop. But you don't wash your hands of it as a parent. You don't wash your hands of a kid who has an attitude problem or a frustration or a problem with you. If there is an issue between mom and dad in your house or if there's an issue between dad and a son or mom and a daughter in your house right now and mom, you're the grown-up and you are giving the silent treatment to your 13-year-old kid, you need to grow up. And you're retreating instead of charging. Don't be surprised. If your life stinks. Don't be surprised if your Monday morning looks like treading through mud. Because you're incongruent with life. This is not the way God intended for you to live your life. The way God intended for you to live your life is to go to your 13-year-old daughter, to go to your 15-year-old son, to go to them and not play the silent treatment, be the grown-up, to walk into the bedroom, to make the hard discussion, to take a day off, to do what you need to do to make it right. I don't know what it is for you right now, but you have the choice today. This is not a sermon. This is not just a religious opportunity. There is no, and I'm not saying anything about our Catholic friends with this, but there is no confession booth in this church. There is not something you can walk in, say something, and walk out. This is between you and God, and today it's about a decision for you. Will you charge the issues in your life, or will you run away? Philippians 3 says this, I'm not saying that I have all this together, this is what Paul says, that I have it made, but I'm well on my way. The little Greek phrase there means, but I think I figured this out. You need to listen to this. This is one of the smartest guys in all of history when it comes to Jesus. And he says, I'm not saying I got all this figured out, but I think I figured out the secret to not feeling like I'm treading through mud in my life. I'm well on my way. I reach out for Christ, who has wonderfully reached out to me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward. You, You get that? I'm moving onward. Some versions say, I'm pressing on. I'm moving forward. Paul says the secret, the way you live life, is that you look towards Jesus. You look towards what it actually means to follow Jesus. You dig in. You go press the preacher for what he actually meant when he said that. And you go find the books. And you go find out what it means to follow Jesus. And you move 
forward. Some of you are still living in the past, and when I talk to you back in that room, all you can tell, about, tell me about is the divorce you had 15 years ago, or the problem with addiction that was 12 years ago now, or the whatever it was, and you're not thinking forward. You're still in retreat. This year, today, it's your choice to charge. Paul says, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. What if you said it today? Band, you guys can come up. Here's your handles today. Choose to live a proactive life today. If you've got a relationship problem at home, you go fix it. Yeah, but John, they, I don't care. I'm not asking. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about you. Yeah, but it's their fault. I don't, I don't care about that. You fix it as far as it concerns you. Yeah, finances are so deep, I don't even know what to do. Start answering the phone when it rings and just be honest. Start getting out the messes in your life by being proactive. Don't hold out on God today. I don't know what that means for you. I tried to flesh that out and tried to give some examples, but the truth is it's different for all of us. All of us have one of those little places where we go, you know what, God, you can have all of it, but I'm going to take that one. Some of you, it's money. You've just gone, no way, man. I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm not going to give anything. I'm not going to do anything. You've just gone, I'm going to take that part. And some of you have said relationships. Some of you said, you know what, I know how God wants me to live. I know about marriage and I know about family, but you know what, I'm going to take it all, but I'm going to do my own thing here because nobody understands my problems and my situation. Some of you have done that with work. Some of you have done that with your kids. I don't know what it is today, but where is it in your life that you haven't been all in with God? Stop acting like a slave. You know what? I'm going to start using a new phrase. I wrote this. I wasn't sure I was going to say it, but I am. When we do this to each other, when we see each other in the hallway and somebody says something that's derogatory and down, frustrating, and talks about the past and not the future, this is our phrase around here. You're not a slave anymore. Yeah, but I'm so depressed. You're not a slave to that. You're free. Yeah, but 15 years ago, when that, that's in your past. You're not, a, you're not a slave to that. You're free. It's going to be one of our mantras in, in 2015. You're not a slave. Stop acting like a sta- slave and be free. Move forward. And charge. I'm going to ask you to sing this song today. Many of you have done this, and I've been sending Facebook messages this week to some people. I've got friends who this week have said, I'm serious about the smoking thing. It's done. And it might be, it might not be, but they're charging. I got friends in here today who said, man, it's just tough. I don't know if I can do another day. Sent notes on Facebook to go, yeah, just charge, just keep moving. I don't know if you need it today, but if you do, after church, I'll be back up there. I'm going to move down front today because I want to give you a chance this morning to charge. If you feel like you're being passive, there is nothing better for you right now physically than to move, than to go. So I'm going to ask you, like Billy Graham did 30 years ago, to come forward, to go. In fact, that's not even the word. I'm not going to say come, I'm going to say go. Go to the front this morning, would you? As an outward symbol that you're ready to move forward. You can talk to me if you want, or you can come up and just pray on these stairs. You move forward and you say, God, I want to charge these things in my life. And you let him do something big in you. Would you stand with us and sing this morning?